Cool. My name is Param Janssen. I am a pastoral apprentice at New Hope. Um, if you don't know me, I came to faith in this church three years ago. Um, I, was, I was a student at St. John's, and I got introduced to Pastor Tom and Pastor Andy, and I started being discipled. And um, a week before, I, my dad was diagnosed with cancer, and a week before he passed away, I gave my life to Christ. And a large part of me giving my life to Christ was because of New Hope. And so this, this church is so near and dear to my heart. Uh, I know people specifically in here. I used, to, you know, I'm, I used to sit with one of you guys, and now I'm up here. Um, I'm going to be with you guys next week again. Uh, um, but yeah, so if you have your Bibles, I would love to open up to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. I think the page on the regular Bible is 774 or 744. Okay. Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. So we're reading about Jonah, a very famous prophet from the Old Testament, a minor prophet, but a great prophet, um, and he has a great story, and the summary so far goes like this. Chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and Jonah is commanded to preach to that great city, Nineveh. Part 2, Jonah disobeys and runs the other way. <laughs> Chapter 3, or part 3, Jonah is thrown into this storm with these sailors, and uh, the sailors ask him, what have you done? And he says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the God of who made the, the, the land and the sea. And he's, then he's thrown into the ocean. They, they cast him into the ocean. Part 4, a fish picks up Jonah. And in this chapter, Jonah recounts the moments when he was in the deep blue sea. <laughs> deep blue sea. Um, so what do you think? What do you think so far? What do you think about this story? Do you think you can move it, make a movie script? Um, I, I know you, I, I'm sure, uh, I don't know if you guys seen the movie uh, Fish Called Wanda, or a fish named Wanda before, or maybe Pinocchio. <laughs> uh, maybe this is like Pinocchio. Um, no, I, I think that if you gave this script to a director, he would look like, at this and say, what's the point? What's the point here? And the point is this. The point of this chapter 
is the point is, is about God's grace. Grace, that's what it's about. And, and um, that's, the book, that's what this chapter's about. That's what this book is about. That's what Jonah's about. It's about grace. So this book is about a religious professional and even more, a direct prophet from God who received direct revelation, who is deeply distorted about his view in life. Um, he's deeply in the dark about God's grace. We're going to see how Jonah's deepest fears, his racial prejudice, his lack of endurance, are all, form, are, are from his blindness to the reality of God's grace. But there's a turning point in this chapter, in, cha- uh, in verse 8 and verse 9. It says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I... I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah has a change of his mind in this section, and it's when he's at the bottom, at the rock bottom, um, and he, he's in the whale, and he's, he's praying to God. And um, like a lot of great people in history, Jonah has to be brought down to the lowest of lows to be brought up and to be a burning light, to be a shining light upon his, the, the Ninevites and his community and to us even. Um, Martin Luther, in, uh, in the, when he was in his 30s, uh, a German sedate professor um, who was a professor of the Bible, um, found, learned about God's grace at the age of um, his mid-30s. And when he found it out, he became bold. He became like a lion. He stopped being afraid of, of um, the smaller things that we get afraid in life. And it's because he got a good grips of God's grace. And that's what I want to get to. Um, and so I want to apply this text right away. I want to ask this question. Um, I, I'm going to ask these three questions in a bit. But I want to make the point that Jonah, a direct prophet from God, if Jonah can be blind to grace, even to the point of distorting his own life to one, or degree, to one degree or another, we can too. The hypothesis of my, my the hypothesis of my sermon uh, is our most severe problems in life are caused by an ignorance of the true depths of God's grace. Okay, I'm going to repeat that again. Uh, our most severe problems in life are caused by an ignorance of the true depths of God's grace. That's the point of these verses. That's the point of this chapter. That's the point of this book. And until we get it, we're going to be living in a life of what we can be or what we should be um, until we um, get a grips of God's grace. And so, you know, God's grace is like a, it's like a mansion, if, if you've ever been in a mansion before. Um, God's grace is, a man, is like a mansion. Like when you're in the mansion, you, you've, you think you've seen it all, and then all of a sudden you take a turn, and then there's a new hall in the mansion. And you're amazed. There's a whole bunch of unexplored rooms and decorations that you haven't explored. And like that, when we explore a new wing of God's grace, we're brought up higher to a higher level of life and greatness. And so um, to get to my three points of the sermon, um, my, uh, these are my three points. Or these three points are questions. And so if you're taking notes, I will slow down here because I'm speaking pretty fast. Point one, what is grace? Point one, what is grace? Point two, how do we receive grace? How do we receive grace? And point three, how do we know we have God's grace? 
How do we know we have God's grace? Point one, what is grace? Well, the Hebrew word for grace in the Old Testament is called kin. It's spelled C-H-E-N, kin. And it's used in Genesis 33 when Jacob, the brother of Esau, returns to Esau after he's duped his father and duped his brother. And he comes back to Esau trying to look for forgiveness. He says, let me find kin. Let me find favor. Um, now, uh, favor is not the way that we interpret it as a particular action. Um, but grace here means grace is favor, is favor granted to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Okay, let, let me repeat that again. What is grace? Grace is favor granted to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. And it's, grace is being let in um, to this undeserving person, right? So I want to break that up. I'm being let in, undeserving person. Being let in, undeserving person, okay? So being let in, verse 6. It says, At the roots of the mountain I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Yet you brought my life up from the pit. Yet you let me in. Yet you let me near. Friends, this is called cosmic hospitality. Do you know what hospitality means in New York? I don't think so. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I knew if we do. <laughs> or at least when i uh, living with Shamar, I, I do. Um, and so what is hospitality in New York? Well, we don't allow random people to come in, but when they do come in, we're hospitable. So what do we do? When they're thirsty, we give them a drink. You give them a drink. When they're hot, we crank up the heat. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> of course not. No, that's not hospitality. When they're thirsty, we give them a drink. When they're hot, we open the window. When they're cold, we turn up the heat. And this is cosmic hospitality. God allows us into the, in, in, in all the way into his family, all the way into his house, as we could say, all the way into his presence. You know, the reason the doctrine of grace hits our deepest intuitions in life is because to one degree or another, we all want to be included. We all want to be part of the inner circle, right? Um, I've been uh, leading uh, New Hope Kids with, uh, under Brittany's leadership, and um, I've, I had, I've had so much fun doing it. These kids ask me crazy questions, scary questions, but... Um, very edifying questions. And um, um, I also try to take the text that I'm teaching that week and I try to radically apply it to the specific idol in their life. And the middle schoolers right now, I know I see two middle schoolers in here, uh, the, the middle schoolers right now are dealing with a particular sin of trying to be popular. Remember when you were in middle school and you, you know, you're, you're this, this social hierarchy and, and some of us never left that, but... <laughs> Um, but we're all, they're all trying to be popular and they're all trying to gain fame they're all, they're all trying to gain fame and um, I was talking to this girl the other, the other week and she was like you know I just I want to be famous I want to be known I want to be part of the inner circle and I was just thinking like oh, that's not going to bring you happiness that's, that's not like, and you know I, and then I came home a few hours later as I was doing my deep reflection on this, 
I realize that I, like her, like most of us, like a child, desperately want to be welcomed in. We want to be let in. We want to be welcomed by the ones who really count, right? The gospel says that the ones who wanted to be welcomed in but never got uh, welcomed in and they feel like their lives are ruined from it, and the ones who actually got welcomed in and feel empty, the gospel says that the reason you're restless is because you don't understand. Because the ones who you really want to be accepted by represent the one who actually counts. Right? That's, who am I talking about? God! The Lord is his name. He's the only one you deeply, really need to be led into. And contrary to your deepest beliefs, you can't get there and by yourself. You can't. It's, it's our deepest belief. We, we, we think we can do it, but we can't. In accord with your deepest fears, the gospel says, you cannot possibly earn that reception. But contrary to your beliefs and what your society has told you, you can be received. But not because of you, but because of Christ. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and died a perfect death. And the gospel says salvation is not because of you, but because of him, because of Jesus. Jesus, Sunday school answer. <laughs> um, so that's what being let in means. We're let in because of Christ's atoning work, right? Okay, we're going to get a little bit more into that. But let me get to that second point in the first, first part. Now we've talked about being let in. Let's talk about the undeserved person by the unobligated giver. So I have three cases, and I'm going to give you each case pretty clearly and see if you can make sense of it. Um, case one, let's say you're an employer, and you have a new employee, and he's been working with you for two weeks. Um, is it grace that you give him a salary? No, because they deserve it, and you're obligated to give it. Case two, your Sunday school teacher, Brittany, <laughs> decides to step down from her position. We hope that never happens. And all of us take her out to eat. Is that grace? Well, yes and no. Yes, because it's not obligated by us to take her out. But no, because she actually really does deserve it. Right, Brittany? You deserve it. <laughs> Case three. Your roommate, your, I don't want to say roommate because my roommate Shamar. Do you guys know Shamar? Yeah, Shamar's not here, but I, I don't want to talk about it. Let's say your neighbor, and your neighbor is a louse. Your neighbor is a, is a brat, right? Whenever his music is too loud, you go over and knock his door. You say, hey, can you turn on your, turn on your music? He's like, okay, and then he closes the door, and he turns it up. Um, and whenever you have your music at all, he calls the cops. And when he gets sick, you run his errands. You get him meals. You feed him. Is that grace? Yes, that's what we call pure grace. Um, and and um, my point here is that the doctrine of grace says that no human being is so good, they don't need grace. Okay, let me repeat that again. Doctrine of grace says that no human being is so good, they don't need grace. And no human being is so bad, they can't find grace. See that? No being human is too good, no human being is too bad. 
um, as a seminary student, and I'm going <laughs> to recite something very nerdy, um, the Westminster Confession 15.4 says, and this is a beautiful summary of, of what the Bible represents, as there is no sin so small, but it de- deserves damnation, so there is no sin so great, it can bring damnation on those who repent. That, that is so beautiful. That's Westminster Confession 15.4. The doctrine of grace is a leveler. It's a leveler. And, and, to those, and, and it says that to those who have succeeded and said, hey, look, I've succeeded. Yeah, you need grace. And then to those who have failed, well, you have grace. You can find grace. But it's a, it's a leveler. And, the, and in verse 6, in verse 6, Jonah says, yet you... Yet you brought my life from the pit. Yet you, yet you. That statement, yet you, allows for there to be no um, casual reaction from the statement made before and after the yet. Okay, let me, I want to explain this a little bit more. There's no casual reaction. The people that I know who have a prayer life of yet, yet you, yet you, God, but God, you know, you know these people? These people have a powerful prayer life because they know that they, when they look in the mirror, it's not because of them. It's not because of who they are or what they do, but it's because of God and how he sees them. Um, and so the and yet is like a rocket ship. And yet is like a rocket ship. And it casts us into this new realm and it allows us to, to pull away from the gravity of sin and shame and guilt. This is what I'm talking about. Cosmic hospitality. People? <laughs> Cosmic hospitality. Okay, uh, point two. <laughs> How do you receive grace? <laughs> point two. How do you receive grace? Oh, I'll slow down a little bit. I don't run fast. Um, grace. So we've talked about grace. So grace is favor. Grace is favor granted to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. We've talked about that already. But how do we receive grace? Paul in Galatians says, the day you understood, okay, so some, something's happening here intellectually, the day you understood the grace of God, the gospel has bared fruit in you. The day you understood the grace of God. In order to receive grace, we need to understand it. And what, so what, what, what is this, okay? So I want to give you a case of three types of people, and this is typically... This is, there's three types of people in this world. Okay, so some of you are like, oh, three types of people, this guy. <laughs> Simplifying stuff. Um, but there, there's three types of people in this world, and there's spiritual diagnosis we can diagnose them with. One, there are people who have too low a view of their sin, so they can't grasp grace, okay? These are the people who kind of look at God and say, I don't, I don't, I don't need God, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not that bad. What I do is not that bad, right? And there's um, two. Uh, there's people who have too low a view God's mercy that can't grasp grace. Um, and th- this is a, a, a people who can't see the power of God working in their lives, or they can't see the power of God changing in their, their circumstance. So they can't grasp grace. But there's people, the third group, is there's people who not only see their sin, the depths of their sin and their need, but they also see the, the height of God's mercy. 
and his grace. And those two things, that, 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 that sin part, that the depths of the sin and the heights of God's mercy, these two things are like chemicals. And when they come into the, to a believer or to a, a non-believer, there's something that happens in them. There's a chemical reaction. It's called regeneration. They're able to see the world in a whole different light because they can see their own sin, but they see their God's mercy, right? Jonah has this experience. Jonah's doing that in verse 8 and verse 9. Let's look at verse 8 and verse 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Okay, now we're seeing the depths of the sin. Those who pay regard to vain idols. And then the second part is, I, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He sees the heights of God's mercy, right? So let, let, me, let me break that into two parts. Um, idols and God's mercy. Idols and God's mercy. And what are idols? So, um, you know, um, I'm going to give you uh, spiritual advice that uh, a preacher can preach at, uh, at you and tell you what your sins are, but actually you're going to have to take some time alone to deep, do some deep reflection about idols in your own life. Um, and you need to smash that idol. You need to kill that idol. You need to get rid of it. You need to forsake it and turn. That's what the Bible says. Um, and one of the idols that we all deal with, and I deal with this very deeply, um, is the, the idol of self-sufficiency. Um, it is so easy to go on in ministry just counting on, on yourself and doing it for your own glory. And you say, you, you say you're doing it for God's glory intellectually, but at your heart, you're not really doing it for God's glory. And this sin of self-sufficiency leaves you burnt out. It leaves you um, in a lo low and dry place. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I, had the mo I had a moment yesterday with Shamar last night. Shamar's my roommate, for those of you who don't know. Uh, I talked to him over before. Um, I had a moment with Shamar where, I, as I was sermon prepping for this sermon, um, I listened to a Keller sermon, I listened to a Piper sermon, and I listened to a few other, you know, and, and I was like, I, I can't, my message is not, is not like this at all. Like, my message is not as good as like this. And I started freaking out, I started writing on a new sermon, and, and as I was coming up with it, Shamar was like, brother, what, what's going on? And I was like, well, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm preaching this right. And Shamar sat down and said, brother, if you've been praying about this sermon for the, week, for the weeks and, and days that have been coming by, then the Lord will speak through your sermon. So you don't need to totally change it up. And um, Shamar, you know, revealed a sin in my life where I was trying to be self-sufficient, you know? And so many of us can do it in our own personal lives, whether it's in life, in family, in ministry. We can just rely on our own intellectual ability, our own uh, need, instead of doing it for God's glory and relying on for Christ's sake. And so I hope that you can encourage me um, continually to seek the Lord's, um, Lord's power and um, grace in my life, too, um, as he seeks yours. So that's one idol right? Self-sufficient. Another idol is religion. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but you can, you can worship Christianity. You can worship coming to church. You can worship being a Christian. 
And um, typically, uh, the, the statement or the thought process is that surely I can get something from this, like something that like God owes you. Um, and, if, and if you allow that happens, you're never going to see the power of grace in your life. You're never going to see the power of grace in your life. Um, and so smash that idol. You have to smash it. Um, you're not going to, you know, um, you don't want to worship religion. Um, I'm going to smash that idol. And so when you kill your idols, when you smash your idols, his love and grace explode in your life. And there's a, but there's another side to it. There's another side. His, his love and grace explode in your life. But how? But now we've seen the depths, the depths of our sin and need. But there's another side to it. And this side um, is what Jonah speaks about in verse 4. So if you look at verse 4 briefly, it says... Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. And he says that before, too. He says, he, he, um, he says that after, I'm sorry. He says, into your temple. He says in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Why, why was Jonah looking into the temple? What was in the temple? Well, at the temple holds the mercy seat. And, at the mer- and right below the mercy seat holds the, the law, the Ten Commandments. It's put under there. And right above, right on the mercy seat, the blood is sprinkled. Right? What is, so, what, what, first of all, what is the law? Well, the law of the Ten Commandments demanded a life of compassion, integrity, courage, purity, self-sacrifice. And over the top, the blood was sprinkled on it. And God, so Jonah, Jonah's looking into the temple, the mercy of God, because he knew that God would give him grace in spite of his failure because God would receive the payment of a substitute. That God would, that's why Jonah was looking into the temple. And so Jonah didn't look at the depths of his sin only. He began to put his hope in the substitute. Okay, so he's seeing the depths of his sin. He's putting his hope in the substitute. But Jonah, Jonah doesn't know, didn't know what we know today. And that the sprinkling of the blood and Jonah himself was a picture for someone who is greater and satisfy our, as someone who would satisfy as our substitute. So get this, if you listen carefully. Jonah was thrown into the ocean, an ocean of God's anger, and the sea stopped its raging. Jesus Christ was thrown into the ocean of God's anger, and the sea stopped raging against us. His judgment, his condemnation, his wrath, his just and merciful, yet merciful wrath on us. And some of you might be saying, well, I don't, I don't like to talk about God's wrath. I don't like to talk about God's anger. But I, I want you to know something. The, indi- the, the opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is not anger. It's indifference. And we have a God who, is so, who, has, who, is such, who has such grace for us, who has emptied heaven of its greatest pleasure and sent his own son on Calvary Hill to die for us in order that we might be taken to heaven. And that's, that's the beautiful news of the gospel. That's what the gospel is. And, um, I, and when we receive it, um, 
That's how we inherit eternal life. And so the question, how do we receive grace? We admit, we admit to the depths of our sin and we trust the substitute, Jesus Christ. We admit to the depths of our sin and we trust the substitute of Jesus Christ. Point three, how do we know we've received the grace of God? Um, so the, re- the, the way we can know if we've received the grace of God is we change externally and internally. Okay, externally. Externally, Jonah uh, externally lost his cynicism about the messed up people from Nineveh. If you look at verse uh, if you look at verse uh, 9, he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He knows how gracious God has been to him. He knows. He understands. And his cynicism about Nineveh is ridden after it because he's brought down to the lowest of lows. And so externally for us, we lose our cynicism about messed up people. Maybe people who aren't Christians. Maybe people who don't believe what we believe. And um, this is, uh, this might be uh, a specific person who's very close to you, your spouse, your coworker, your sister, your brother, your, your dad, your mom. You lose your cynicism of that person because you understand the grace of God. Um, and so um, externally, we lose our cynicism. Now internally, there's something that happens. Um, and this is very important to understand. Um, and I think at New Hope we understand this. And so I like to reiterate this. Internally, we stop. We stop looking at external actions as proving ourselves. But internally, we receive joy and thanksgiving. Jonah says in verse 9, With a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will, with a voice of thanksgiving, um, I will sacrifice to you. Jonah is changed. His guilt is, is ridden. His guilt is gone, and he becomes a man of joy and thanksgiving. And some of you may be saying, well, yeah, that's great for Jonah, but you, listen, you don't know how big the sin, um, a bit, the, the particular sin is in my life. You don't know how big my sin is. Listen, the Bible says that God's grace is an infinite grace. It's an infinite mercy. And Jesus Christ who is uh, the only son of God, who was um, where, where, God, where he was taken up to Calvary Hill and he was poured out on God's wrath, was an eternal punishment. That's, that's, that's a paradox. That's, when we see Christ on the cross, um, it's an infinite grace. And so, friends, don't you see that the inner ring or the inner circle that when we're in Jesus, don't you see what happens when we're when the, when we're in the inner ring of uh, of when we receive Christ? Every other ring becomes negotiable, and we become a fearless people without being a defiant people. We become a fearless people of being defiant people. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not partially you. It's not partially Him. It's all of Him. Someone says, well, I'm I'm not worthy of God. You don't get it. God is your worthiness. Somebody says, I wish God was working in my life. I wish he was was working in my life like him or her. I, I want him to work in my life. You don't get it. 
the very fact that your desire is that you want God to work in your life is Him working in your life. Don't give yourself too much credit. Your desires for Him, even your sense of your own sin, that is God's grace. And so, friends, smash your idols. Kill your idols. Trust the substitute. Put Him first. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Um, I'll pray as I uh, call up the worship team as well. So, um, Father God, thank you so much for the atoning work of your Son, uh, Jesus Christ, who died the death that we should have died, who, was, who you poured your whole wrath to him, Lord, and um, he willingly obeyed you, and um, he did it in order for the joy that was set before him. So, Lord, I just pray that this, this gospel message would resonate in our hearts, that we would receive you with thanksgiving. Um, Lord, we thank you so much. Um, and we pray that this grace, this infinite grace that you've given us, changes us from internal to external. I pray this in Jesus' name.